The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Sunranto Show was recorded live and streamed on Danny Rocket's YouTube page. If you'd like to listen early and ad-free to the Sunranto Show, well, you should subscribe. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. It keeps the show in tickets and beer. Now get over there. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. Support us today. Now you're going to have to listen to some ads. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to our uh, very special John Baker Day 2020 uh, breakout episode, which we're going to be doing live. Uh, let me just uh, take a second to introduce everybody. My name is Danny Rocket. I'm the host of the Sun Ranto Show. Uh, so is uh, Crawley. Say hi, Crawley. We got Michael Cotton up there in the corner, also from Sun Ranto. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Sarah Sanchez and Andy Cruz Vanisek are here from the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast, uh, which comes through Bleed Cubby Blue, where we are streaming live right now. And also on the show, we have Levante Stewart, who I've briefly, uh, who I've recently met and has been coming on here with our uh, j- special John Baker Day 2020 episodes when we decided to do a, uh, a look at black history of baseball in Chicago. And uh, Levante runs a group on the south side of Chicago called The Lost Boys. It is a little league organization, an educational organization. And that's why we're doing it this year. That's why we're going to do the past, present, and future of black baseball in Chicago is to try to raise raise some money for The Lost Boys and Levante uh, down in uh, south side of Chicago. Uh, Levante, would you like to at least uh, start us out by letting us know a little bit about The Lost Boys and why we're doing these episodes? Sure, Danny. So <clears throat> we're just a little bit different from just traditional league. We utilize the power of sport. It's called sport-based youth development, and we kind of narrow in at Lost Boys, specifically with baseball and fast-pitch softball. So uh, our priority is helping children to kind of overcome trauma that they've experienced through violence, through other issues, using the power of baseball, but also leveraging that to kind of, again, get that youth participation, that rate increased again through the game of baseball. So you throw in all this other stuff, go out to the ball field, get a little popcorn, make it all fun, and kind of try to put it back in the neighborhood. Yeah, and I know you do a lot of off-season programs that are educationally based, which is why we're here to uh, break down this conversation with Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Levante Crawley and I, along with uh, John Baker, uh, had a, a, a really great conversation the other day with Bob and learned a ton of things about the rich and amazing history that has taken place in Chicago before all of our time that's on the show, Bob's time too. But, uh, you know, as especially as Cub fans, we have a lot to be proud of, especially as Chicagoans. We have a lot to be proud of in uh, the history 
of some of these unsung heroes of baseball. And Bob Kendrick is such an amazing storyteller. And uh, you guys are in for a treat tonight as we talk about this. But um, let me first say, I know normally on John Baker days, we throw a big party. We all part. We get drunk. Uh, the rock band plays. Uh, you know, we uh, we had celebrate a goofy event like the night the backup catcher got getting the win. But this is 2020. And it's a, a year unlike any other that any of us have experienced. And uh, I know that's the truth for anybody watching and anybody on this panel and anybody that was uh, on the Bob uh, Kendrick interview. But uh, we're going to take this opportunity to try to uh, create productive change within our communities. Uh, so I, I, I feel like, Levante, you said, just said it, baseball is an opportunity for us to be able to do that is an opportunity for us to come together. So um, we thought it important to kind of uh, lift up the voices. And let me just say before we get started that uh, what if you want to help out Lost Boys directly right now, let's just get to the cut to the chase. Donate now at lostboysinc.org. Uh, that's the way you do it. Uh, it's the most direct way. You don't have to go through uh, the John Baker Day sites. Uh, you know, there's uh, we have that, but this is the way that you should do it because they'd cut me out as the middleman. So, um, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down our interview with Bob Kendrick, who's uh, the Negro League president, as I said. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Buck O'Neill, a uh, largely unsung hero and what a game changer for the Chicago Cubs and their history. And he's still unsung uh, here in Chicago. doesn't have a statue anyway, and, and he should. Uh, and also uh, another giant of the game, the guy who founded the Negro Leagues, who is uh, Rube Foster. And, uh, you know, and he is, I don't know, a lot of people don't know who he is. And I think that's a shame as well. So I think what we'll do is start with a, uh, conversation uh that the conversation that we had with bob kendrick about rube foster and he's going to tell us a, a little story about rube and then we'll uh talk about it here goes it was rube foster who led a contingent of eight independent black baseball team owners into kansas city in 1920 they met at the Passell ymca the building is just right around the corner from where the museum currently operates and so for a lot of folks who sometimes wonder why a negro leagues museum is in kansas city it's because Kansas City is the birthplace of the Negro Leagues. That's it. And, and that's going to be the future Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center, that beautiful four-story mural of Buck. As you can see there, uh, it's just absolutely breathtaking as you come in uh, from the going north on the Paseo on the south side of that building. But that is where they met to form the Negro Leagues. And so Ruth Foster is affectionately known as the father of the Negro Leagues. But Danny, you're right. There have been black baseball well before the actual Negro National League was formed in 1920 with those eight teams that started those leagues. Two of them were Chicago teams, the Chicago Giants and Rube Foster's Chicago American Giants. And, and then the Chicago Giants didn't last very long, but Rube Foster's Chicago American Giants were, man, they were a juggernaut. They, they were one of the dominant teams along with the Monarchs and later Pittsburgh Crawfords and Homestead Grays is some of the great baseball franchises of the Negro Leagues. Root Foster, though, guys, a lot of people don't talk about it. Root Foster had been a great pitcher in the pre-era of the Negro Leagues, the early era of black baseball. As a matter of fact, Root Foster, John, is credited 
with having invented what we now know to be the screwball. Back then, it was called a fadeaway. And fadeaway. Affected this pitch, man, so much so that the great major league manager, John McGraw, would sneak Ruth Foster into his camp so that Ruth Foster could teach Christy Matheson how to throw the screwball. Guys, Christy Matheson threw the pitch all the way into the National Baseball Hall of Fame that he learned from Ruth Foster. But Foster was best known as this visionary, this tremendous leader. He would organize the Negro Leagues. He would become president of the Negro Leagues. He owned the Chicago American Giants, and he managed the Chicago American Giants. And as a manager, Ruth Foster was known to find his ball players in the early 1900s as much as $5 if you were tagged out standing up. You were supposed to fly. Now, Rue, Rue Levante would draw a circle down the first baseline and a circle down the third baseline. And if every one of his players couldn't drop a bunt inside that circle, he would find them. Yeah, see, he was adamant about the style of play that became signature Negro Leagues baseball. Fast, aggressive, daring. They bunt their way on. They steal second, they steal third, and man, if you weren't too smart, they were stealing home. And, and guys, what makes it so special is this was the style of play that drew both black and white fans who sat side by side during an era when doing something socially together was virtually unheard of. Negro Leagues baseball brought the two races together. And that's the irony of this great story. Here's a league born out of segregation that becomes the driving force for social change in this country. You know, sports keep coming back, and that's great. Well, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and there is no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Because BetOnline has all the odds, features, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expensive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. So there's the most amazing person that most people have never heard of, um, Rube Foster. Uh, I, 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 spoiler alert, he, he died, but he died very young. Uh, it, in Kankakee, Illinois, it was it was only in his 40s when he ended up uh, dying. It almost was asphyxiated by gas in Indianapolis, and then kind of uh, had some mental problems after that. And uh, but so he kind of died in a little bit of obscurity. But um, let, let me ask you guys, like Rube Foster, it his legacy of black baseball. It you know a he forms the Negro Leagues, but also it, you know being able to. I guess uh, because he formed it in Kansas City, but the best team was here in Chicago, the Chicago American Giants. Like, why is it that we don't celebrate that particular era 
of our history here in Chicago and why do you think it's largely forgotten? Um, Levante, I'll let you speak on that first. Wow. Um, I mean, that's a, a very interesting question. And I think, honestly, Danny, a lot of it was still kind of trying to gather the facts and continue to ask that question. But for me, um, you know, in honesty, it's kind of also the legacy of Chicago as a segregated city uh, where not necessarily black opulence and excellence was celebrated. You got to think about kind of what happened here because of redlining people who were utterly miserable with the South tried to escape to the North, the great migration, you know, my family came this way uh, from the South, from New Orleans. They came from uh, Indianapolis. They came from Texas and they came here for a better life. And then they were all kind of pigeonholed into Bronzeville, but they made it into a beautiful thing where they celebrated themselves. And so, you know, now we're seeing uh, things are changing socially where it's kind of rippling now across Chicago and those barriers are starting to crumble where it doesn't matter, you know, it once mattered in Chicago if you were from Canaryville, Bridgeport, uh, South Shore, High Park. Um, people are kind of coming on the same page. So I'm starting to see a little bit of a different Chicago. And I think, you know, that probably played a big role. And the same reason we don't see a lot of John Point Baptiste DuSable statues all over, a black man founded the city. Um, we celebrate it, but it's not prominent. When I go to Philly, I see George Washington and all those cats everywhere around Philly. Yeah, and it, it seems like it's it's missing out of, like, especially uh, because I know that Rube Foster was the founder of the East-West game, which was probably the greatest, uh, by some accounts, the greatest baseball game ever played. And uh, they would play it largely at Comiskey Park, I think. So why there's not even a... I mean, Comiskey's gone, but why there's not a um, at least a monument to that? Well, Levante, I think, kind of hit on it is that, you know, it's like we're not celebrating these things because we don't celebrate black history really at all in any context of our society. Uh, hopefully some of that is changing. But I mean, why would we expect Chicagoans to know about Rube Foster when? You know, when they're when they aren't being told much about DuSable, as he said, you know, like that, that kind of thing. I mean, the uh, achievements of black people in this country have largely been overshadowed. And, you know, Black History Month is 28 days and it's before spring training. So, I mean, we're not talking baseball, but we should. You know, the interesting. We, we always thing too, had an old saying in the neighborhood, and it it would go generation to generation. We we always say, "Well, we got the shortest month." <laughs> oh. You know, uh, as as somebody that grew up, you know, being like a baseball, you know, loving baseball and stuff like that, a lot of people start looking into the the records. I think more than any sports, the individual records play an important role as far as, okay, you know, Babe Ruth had 714 home runs or, you know, Roger Maris had 61 home runs in a single season. Those, those numbers play a big part. And because African-American ball players were not allowed to play in the major leagues, you know what I mean? It, it took a lot more research as I got older to understand. And Bob talked about, I don't know how many, how much of the videos you're going to show, but you know, about Satchel Page or, or, or uh, you know, we talked about Buck O'Neill or Papa Bell, all, all these players. You know, if you're just kind of somebody getting into the game, 
those records aren't there because they weren't allowed to take part in it. And that makes it kind of tricky as you're coming into the game to navigate it. Um, you know, and, and that I think has a big effect too, is that when you look at the books, the records are, you know, from the, don't show the accomplishments of the African-American baseball players pre uh, integration. So I want to talk about that for a second, because I was a little 10 year old kid whose parents had like this huge coffee table book of the greatest baseball players of all time. And I'm at the risk of letting everybody who doesn't already listen to Cup of Cubby Blue know that I'm a total geek. I was like addicted to stats as a kid. So I was like sitting there thumbing through trying to memorize like who had the fifth most home runs when I was little because I don't know, I was bored. Um, but I remember going through that book and I remember vividly running across names like Beck O'Neill and Rube Foster and Satchel Paige. Josh Gibson, who is like my all time like why do we not understand the things Josh Gibson did? This may have been the best catcher in the history of the game. And people don't even understand or talk about his accomplishments because frankly, we lost him too soon. We lost him before he could be integrated into MLB uh, through a really early death, which is unfortunate. And I just, we have to be better. And the people who are all sitting on this show right now have audiences of people who listen to what you say about baseball. And it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that we're talking about the accomplishments that some of these incredible players had when we're talking about the history of the game. And just, I, I am so, like, I remember being a little kid and looking at that book and seeing the things that were done by players I'd never heard of and trying to figure out like, well, why don't I know how many home runs Josh Gibson had and realizing why that was and I think that if that were something we all took it upon ourselves to make sure everybody knew we could undo some of this and hopefully get some of these statues put up and get some of this history told. Cause that's right. It we're, we're, we're tearing, we don't have it. we're tearing down some statues around and I, we put some other ones up, I think is, is the right thing to do. And even great teams like the, the Kansas city Monarchs that that one Cubs fan is pointing out uh, or the Chicago American giants, uh, the Homestead grays. I mean, there, these were teams, and this is what really gets me about Rube Foster. I mean, I wrote down some notes about this guy today. First of all, did you guys know why he got the name Rube? Because he beat Rube Waddell in an <laughs> exhibition game. That crazy dude who was a Cub, you know, and I think he... That is some old school trash yeah. talk. I am going to take your nickname. <laughs> your name is now my name, you know, because I beat you. So first, and, and, you know, but he he was born in Texas in 1879. To And his father, his na real name's Andrew, and his father uh, was a uh, preacher. So, uh, you know, so 1879, we're talking only, what, 15 years after the, 13 years after the Civil War ended. You know, uh, uh, so and he ends up playing with the Waco Yellow Jackets in 1902, which was act and then he ends up playing on a, a white semi-pro team in Michigan, in Oswego, called the Independence. Um, so, you know, and that's the other misconception it's, uh, that uh, Bob did speak on at one point about uh, Moses Fleetwood Walker, who was the barehanded catcher, uh, <laughs> him and uh, Grant. Was it Frank Grant? Do I have that right? I'm not sure. Uh, but there, but yeah, Frank Grant, uh, another like kind of turn of the century uh, pre, you know, pre um, pre Negro leagues, but also the beginning of the major leagues. It was somewhat 
not integrated, but there were black players on so-called major league baseball teams. Um, and a lot of people think Jackie Robinson's first one. Uh, he's the first one post uh, Cap Anson <laughs> is, yeah. is really what that is, which I, I think we should talk about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, he, he played at Wrigley Field. Uh, Rube Foster did. Uh, he wrested control of the Chicago Leland Giants away from Frank Leland, and he bought all the uh, stars from all the other teams and made the best team. And then he formed the National Negro Leagues so that they could be organized and that there would be decent competition for his Chicago American Giants to travel around. And everybody came from far and wide to see these guys. And, um, you know, it's one of the best teams that I think the that baseball has ever seen. And, you know, Chicago doesn't even know about it, let alone the baseball community around the world. So, um, anyhow, uh, why don't I uh, get to the next clip? Uh, Andy, I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I left you out of that one. But No, you're fine. I, I was just going to reiterate what Crawley said. I think there is a clip in there somewhere. And who could listen to Bob talk for hours? I, I totally could. Um, amazing. I can't wait. I know there's, um, I believe the the museum itself is coming out with a, a a series of, I, I don't know if it's podcasts or video podcasts, but where he basically just sits and story tells about the Negro Leagues. And I cannot wait for that. There's like 22 episodes and it comes out on Tuesday. So if you're not following him, go do that. Cause it, he's going to, I'm sure teach you a ton. He's already taught me a ton in just the little time that I've had to research him thus far. But um, kind of what Crawley was saying, it's impossible to go back and look at the records that baseball has held from the early 1900s and think of those as accurate when they weren't playing the most talented baseball. I mean, yeah. they weren't playing with the most talented baseball players. It's just, for me, it's, it's kind of a scam, you know, it, it, it's a sham, I should say, because it, it, you go back and you look at it and you credit all these people that are in the record books when there's a whole nother league of players that are even more so talented that aren't even recognized in these same record books because they weren't allowed to play in, in this league. So to me, it's very frustrating. I think it's just a matter of, like Sarah said, making sure that people know and using our platforms and talking about it and getting it out there. And, you know, and it's up to it's up to people to do their research, too, and know. And, you know, it, it it's taken me some time and I will admit and I'm embarrassed to admit to, to get to know the, the history of it. But I've done it. I've done the research. It's so amazing. There are so many stories. And I mean, just listening to Bob himself, just that will that will get you jump started a hundred percent, and you'll not want to stop reading about it. It's it's amazing. You know when I, when we were talking with Bob, there we Danny and I had you know a list of things that we wanted to talk about, and we only got through like a third of it just because Bob's like so awesome at telling stories, and there's so much you just want to listen. You you know. One thing that, that I wish I could have asked him and I, I didn't have the chance, Sarah, you're bringing up the book that you went through as a kid. I know the one thing that kind of got me going on Buck O'Neill, he kind of became the breakout star in the early 90s. Ken Burns came out oh, with yeah. a documentary called Baseball. And at that point, you know, I know it's not an original name, but at that point, Buck O'Neill kind of had been a little bit forgotten. And and Ken, and he kind of was like the breakout star of that documentary, the history that Buck had and and the way that – you know, he, you know, he, he was able to kind of tell people these great stories of, of that, you know, I wasn't even thinking about or wasn't even on my radar as a young kid. You know, I was early teens at the time, you know, when that, when that documentary came out. But I wish I could ask, you know, Bob, you know, how it, you know, that affected Buck's life because he became, you know, people started to realize we better talk to Buck O'Neill because he has this wealth of information that we need to kind of, 
preserve. Yeah. And thank, so, God, and thank God they did. And, and Bob kept it going. And, and now we're keeping it going as best we can. Danny, can I jump in on the baseball thing for one second? Because I'm a Ken Burns junkie. Um, baseball is an awesome thing to watch. It's like 20 hours long, maybe 18 <laughs> and a half, depending on like where you start from. Uh, it takes a while. It's kind of a commitment. The fifth inning is called Shadow Ball, and it focuses mainly on the Negro Leagues. Outstanding television if you want to take a look at that. But beyond that, if you don't want to do that, there's a really great documentary that aired at Gallagher Way last summer called The Other Boys of Summer. And there's a lot of clips from Buck O'Neill in there. There's a lot of clips from other people who were involved in the league. And it is just outstanding. And I just, I remember sitting on the grass at Gallagher Way watching that last summer. And it was, it blew my mind. And it was wonderful. So you should definitely check out The Other Boys of Summer if you haven't seen it already. Sarah, you should have yeah. saw us sitting up front. Then you should have saw those kids running around in uniform. That was us. I did. We were I like, man, it's, it's, the kids were like, "It's over." They wanted like a whole other hour of it. it. It was an excellent. It was an excellent piece. Those kids made my night because those kids were just running around, having a great time, playing ball in their little league uniforms, and I was like. I, I had tears. I was like, this is just such a great scene right now. And I'm so privileged to be sitting outside of Wrigley Field watching it. And it was just, it was incredible. Um, but I believe oh that God, is look, available. Y'all blew this PBS, south side our way. I'll tell you what, the Cubs have been really good to Lost Boys like the last four to five years. You know, shout out to uh, Carrie, Chris, Jennifer. They've been like amazing in terms of connecting with us, working with us, getting out to do different things that you don't normally do. I mean, there's been times we've been out to do father and son or, you know, father and daughter catch um, on the, the, the friendly confines. So, you know, for a Southsider, that's really big for somebody like me yeah. in the nineties when getting in the Cub game was almost impossible. I spent my entire childhood at Comiskey and just like dreaming to get up to Wrigley. And so I didn't really get up to Wrigley until an adult. And once I got up there, I'm like, man, this is so, you know, I know it sounds lame, but it's so magical. It was a different feel, a different environment than Comiskey. You know, I love my socks. I'm not abandoning ship, but <laughs> you know, nothing in baseball is like the Chicago Cubs and, and Wrigley field and the fans at Wrigley. And so you know, it's just we're been so, really amazing um, we're, the way we've so, been embraced. Well, we're so lucky to have the two teams. And back in the Negro yeah. League days, man, there were four teams here that were playing amazing baseball, <laughs> if not the the teams that were played on the, you know, the uh, the factory ball that they were playing. You know, I know my grandfather was here playing, you know, 16-inch with his factory team and uh, during World War II and stuff. But I, I want to play another clip, and this one's a little bit of a longer one. It's just over – It's I think it's about 11 minutes long. And we kind of talk about that time when there were four teams, uh, you know, sometimes five teams here in Chicago. And uh, and kind of what that meant to the South Side of Chicago, Levante. You spoke on it a lot here, and Bob uh, shared a lot here too. I think everybody's going to find this really interesting. So uh, hopefully, you can all hear it because I'm doing it differently by sharing a Chrome tab. So let's give this a shot, and hopefully, we'll be there. But hey, Bob, I want to, if I can add to that, I'm really glad you brought up uh, the fact about that because I think it has a bigger significance even outside of baseball. It leads still to a current modern day problem, um, which, you know, John and Danny, thank you so much. And Crawley for speaking up on this for 
standing with us in America to finally say enough is enough. And so when you think about it, that same story is juxtaposed across black culture. We build all of these institutions for ourselves and for our families and our children and our communities because we're isolated and we're segregated from other institutions and from you know the economy and being a part of this. And so, for example, you know, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we know about that massacre. But when you examine what happened there, you look in Chicago and Bronzeville after the Great Migration, some of the greatest minds and legends in Chicago uh, have lived in Bronzeville, came here, right? Musicians, artists, intellectuals, ball players. Bronzeville, from all accounts, was the place to be if you were black. Now it's 2020. Bronzeville is trying to make a comeback, but it's so bad here, Bob. That point we used to call it the low end, and you Chicago guys know what I'm talking about. Nobody wanted to go down on 35th and State Street if you weren't going to a White Sox game because you had Stateway Garden projects there, you had other projects, and you you know, and it was just kind of a dismal place. And you would not have known this significant and great history um, about you know all of this success in the black community if people didn't re preserve those oral histories and stories and try to pass them along. So you really do see a pattern, an egregious pattern that has you know, really happened to black people as a result of segregation and us building our institutions. And then when integration occurs, it flattened a lot of things for us. And so, you know, uh, I just want to mention it because that is still a, it is really a big factor and a contributing factor to the socioeconomic conditions of black Americans, not just in Chicago, but all around this country. If you start looking in black communities and cities, you should see that something is going on and say, wait a minute, something just ain't right. Well, and, and, and to your point, Levante, you can go back, and I tell people all the time, you can trace the rise and fall of the Negro Leagues with the rise and fall of black economy in this country. And to a great extent, black economy never recovered from losing the Negro Leagues. So again, what was good morally, what was good socially, was devastating economically. And, and you see, wherever you had successful black baseball, you had thriving black economy. And to hear Buckle Neal and Ernie and my dear friend, the late great Ed Double Duty Radcliffe, who lived and died in Chicago at 103. Yeah, he died in 2005. He was a fixture over at White Sox ballpark. And to hear those guys talk about what the South Side of Chicago was like, man, you know, you just wish you could go back in time and be there. And Levante mentioned the great East-West All-Star Classic, debuted in 1933, the same year that Major League Baseball's All-Star Game debuted. And yes, it did outdraw Major League Baseball's All-Star Game because he's right they would put over 50,000 fans in Chicago's Comiskey Park for that showcase event, one of the greatest sporting events in American sports history that nobody knows anything about. And, and Buck O'Neill says that black folks would come from as far west as Los Angeles by train, as far south as New Orleans, as far east as New York, converging on Chicago for this showcase event. They stand on the south side. Yeah, they all playing on the south side, and, and so you can get an you can kind of get an understanding of how special the south side was. 
or here in Kansas City where the museum is located, historic 18th and Vine. Same thing. One of the, I think 18th and Vine is one of the most recognized street cross sections anywhere in the world because that intrinsic mixture of jazz and baseball that radiated yes. from this street corner. And anybody who is anybody, particularly in the world of jazz, you know, they could get a gig in Kansas City when they couldn't get a gig anywhere else because all the restaurants had live music. All the hotels had live music. And you had nightclubs galore right here in this area that my office is right now. And, and when we built this museum, All right, jump in here, Crawley. Looks like we got some frozen video right there, but, uh, you know, some good points brought up by everybody there about the rich history that uh, we've been talking about this whole time and and Bob kind of talking about some of the great stories that have been going on. Um, definitely, the, Bob can just tell a story and you just kind of get entranced into what he's saying and there, there's so many interesting, fun facts about how, you know, that East-West game, all, all the different things that he talks about, you know, just really kind of blow you away that just things that we're just not aware of. Are we get, we're getting some sort of uh, issue with this. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Bob can just tell a story and you just kind of get entranced into what he's saying and about how we can hear that Danny West game all, all the different that's things coming back through about, you know just really kind of blow you away that just things that you're just not aware of sorry everybody we're having some technical we're getting, we're difficulties sort of, uh, <laughs> it's all good I'm getting double crawly that's outstanding two for the price of one <laughs> I know I love it it's 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 no, like hanging out in no, sorry we're having we're having technical difficulties so Levante can you hear me okay Yeah, Levante. Um, So you were talking a little bit about the bronze district and some of those things. Uh, Is there any more that maybe you could, you know, elaborate on? All right. Well, you know what? There are a number of uh, preservation and historical societies that are down there. So, you know, there's a lot to learn. There's the Bronzeville Visitor Information Center ran by Mr. Harold Lucas uh, there's the Bronzeville, uh, historical society, no Bronzeville preservation society ran by Miss Sherry Williams. But yeah, if you go to 35th and King drive, there are a lot of things you go down and, uh, to more like 24th or 22nd before you get to McCormick and you see the guy with the suitcase. So that was, you know, indicative of what was happening at that time. So it's symbolic of, you know, this mass migration, to Chicago. So it, and uh, if you look back up on 35th and King Drive and you check the sidewalk, a lot of stars and people have written their names in the concrete who have lived in Chicago oh, cool. and have contributed to the American fabric. So, you know, Bronzeville is the funny way I look at it, it's a gem of America. And if if Americans were to look at it, us being this big salad bowl, man, and that's what baseball really is. That's what makes us the greatest country of all of them that we can bring all of this together, our ancestry from all around the globe, but we have a unique touch and a unique flavor to ourselves here in America, right? Um, 
And so baseball has been, like Bob said, it, it has really been that conduit. I think Cotton said it. Everybody here has said it. Crawley said it. Sarah said it. Um, Danny. And that's why we're talking about this. It's that thing. I mean, Bob gave the speech that I normally give when I'm doing like uh, an interview or something on TV. And I'll talk about how baseball can connect people. And it doesn't matter where you're from, south side, north side, west side, if you're black, white. Hispanic, Asian, if you're rich, poor, for those three hours, if you're a Cubbies fan, you know, that's your best friend probably sitting next to you. So um, and then baseball has had greater ramifications on American life. Right. So I, I too, call it the beginning of integration. Um, I'll let historians challenge me on that all day and I'll let them take it because they're the experts. But for me as an American, it starts on that baseball field. Well, I like what he was saying too about how you can how you can track the Negro Leagues along with Black economics, and then the history that we're talking about that a lot of us don't really know about. You know, they always say you know keep keep your politics out of sports, but it is such a it's such a mirror to society at the time that I mean it makes total sense to go back and look at the Negro Leagues and let that be your your inlet to the history that you don't know anymore because it's, it's our favorite game. It's our, it's the pastime that we want to learn about. But then when we get in there and we learn a little bit about, you know, the Negro leagues and those players and stuff, then that leads us to Rube Foster and then out into the black community of the time and how things were. So, you know, Michael, when we were, when, and, and at Levante, I'm sure you probably thought the same thing is after listening to Bob Kendrick talk and, and I asked him, you know, what made him so special, Buck O'Neill, that, you know, and he would tell all these great stories about Buck O'Neill. I said, what made him so great? Because I, I, afterwards, after talking to Bob, I was ready to run through a wall. I was like so pumped up and just, you know, because I've been a big Buck O'Neill supporter for a long time and just kind of aggravated and frustrated that the Cubs haven't done more to recognize him at Wrigley Field. And, you know, what he told, what Bob was talking about is, is about how, and other people have said this too, is that, you know, Ernie was, Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub was very much an introvert, you know, as, as, as a player. And it was Buck who kind of got that whole, you know, the way that Ernie is. And, and I saw a quote where Ernie said, let's play two. That's Buck O'Neill. Like that's Buck O'Neill coming through me and, and those type of things. And so when you talk, Michael, about a conduit, it, it that's where Buck O'Neill plays such an important role because he had one foot on each side of, of you know, Ernie, yeah, played for the Negro Leagues, but he, he spent most of his career in the major leagues. It was Buck that kind of transitioned a lot of the, you know, a lot of Chicago Cubs fans and White Sox fans, favorite players into MLB and, and, and help them navigate those difficult waters, those, those, those really tough years. And, and, you know, we, we had John Baker on and John was talking and he was like, you know, afterwards he's like, I'm pissed. I'm like, he's like, I, we, we need to have more Buck O'Neill, more stuff about Buck O'Neill at Wrigley. And, and that's the thing I always do is I, you know, where I sit in the upper row of the left field, first row, I always look at the flags around all the different flags and they have, you know, different things like Hawk where they'll have 1945, all these little different things. And it's just, it's always irritated me that there's never been a Buck flag flying over Wrigley. Or if you go in the bleachers, they have like these awesome display cases that you can kind of see the history of Wrigley field. And I don't remember seeing anything on Buck O'Neill. I've walked around, I've looked around I don't remember seeing anything. And, and afterwards, John was pretty adamant that he wants to hope, you know, and, and again, John has his limitations too of what he can do, 
but he's definitely somebody that can speak up on the inside of the organization and hopefully say, hey, there's a really important part of Cubs history that is being completely ignored and it shouldn't be anymore. So I totally agree with you on that, Crawley, all of that. Um, I, I wanted to highlight something a little bit different that Bob was talking about there that I think we miss sometimes, which is he talked about how integration actually hurt the economy of black people because they lost out on something that they had like created as an economic wealth point. And that is not unique to baseball, right? Like I'm a former teacher. And so one of the things I taught back in the day, my like social studies classes and whatnot was about school integration. We lost thousands of black teachers when integration occurred. When integration occurred after Brown versus Board of Education, one of the hits that people don't realize happened with all of that was that a lot of black teachers lost their jobs as black children were integrated into white schools. And so I just think it's really important. Yes, integration is important. Yes, celebrate that history, but know what that cost and understand the cost of it and don't repeat those mistakes. Like don't repeat the mistakes of integrating at the cost of black economies and the black livelihood. That's not like we can't do that. And I, yeah, um, and that's, I have, uh, man, that's a beautiful point, Sarah. My mom is a, a public school teacher, so I've gotten to, to hear about things and see things firsthand in the areas of education. But yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have to remember that those that separate economy was built not really by choice. It was built by force, you know, because we're unable Necessity. to be serviced, Necessity. you know. And um, and so then once you build it up and you've got it working how you want now, if you can go to Main Street and buy what you want, it's also symbolic of saying, hey, I'm an American. I want to be enfranchised. I want to exercise my constitutional rights and I want to be treated like every other American by the content of my character and not the color of my skin. And so, you know, that was uh, <laughs> baseball again. I'm always going to go back to it, man. I'm always going to go back to it. Well, what's interesting as a Cubs fan, too, it's, you know, the way that the Cubs integrated is pretty shameful and just to for everybody to know the history of it uh you know the 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 public defender uh or the defender i should say it, w- which was the top black newspaper maybe in the country i know there was the brooklyn eagle that was very popular as well in new york but the defender was the the chicago newspaper and they published an editorial aimed at Philip Wrigley uh, when the dodgers had integrated and the cubs had not And they said uh, some years ago when efforts were made to get Negroes in the major league ball clubs, the stock reply was that the public had to be educated before this could happen. Branch Rickey, who is the kind of American that keeps democracy alive, simply hired Jackie Robinson and told those who did not like it to lump it. (laughs) Now, this is the kind of education that really educates and um, here's another thing that uh, they wrote. This was during the th- – this is earlier, actually, during the uh, World War II. A defender reporter, <laughs> Wrigley, after the meeting, if the hiring of the scout meant uh, that he was now ready to actually sign Negro players, uh, not quite, Wrigley said. The middle of a war isn't the spot to make such a departure from custom. I told the committee members that we would not stick our necks out now. 
And uh, I'm going to go a little bit further because then uh, Gene Baker, who was actually in the Cubs minor league system for years and years and who had played in the Negro Leagues, uh, he was even before Ernie Banks came up and was the first black player on the Cubs. Uh, 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 Baker and Banks lived on the south side. They rode the L to Wrigley for games at first. Then Baker got a car. They drove together. They were disappointed to see how few African-Americans attended games at Wrigley Field. Uh, me and Gene Baker talked about it. There's Ernie speaking. Me and Gene Baker talked about it a lot. Uh, we'd be bringing a relief pitcher in, and he would say, "I." and, and he and I would talk near second base. He'd say, Ernie, there's only two blacks in the ballpark. We got to get out of here. At that time, not many blacks lived north of Madison, Banks said. I lived with a lot of school teachers and bankers, and they never came to Wrigley. So it's like they got this job in the major leagues, but it really was not for them. It was still for white people. The Being a Cubs fan was a white people thing, you know? And to the point that Mike Royko talks, a uh, famous uh, Chicago uh, writer, it wrote in the Tribune, he said, by the time the Cubs got around to hiring black players, they had established themselves as the most predictable klutzes in the National League. Uh, had Wrigley the brains and or the courage, he definitely had the money. The modern tradition of the Cubs might have been entirely different because, uh, you know, there's the Dodgers. They're in those 19, in 1950, in the 1950s, they're in the World Series every year against the, the New York Yankees. Well, and Sarah can talk to this a little bit as well because uh, the Red Sox were the last team to integrate. And what are the two longest droughts for, <laughs> you know, in the history of the game? It's the Cubs and the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of my pet peeves. This wasn't luck. Like, the Cubs and Red Sox were lovable losers and cursed and everything else. Not because of, not because the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth back in the day or because a goat came to Wrigley once upon a time. It was because they systemically did not invest in hiring the best players for their teams, and they found themselves flat-footed when the talent shifted over. And that's just one of those things that, frankly, like, you could be a great historian of baseball and not run across unless you do some deep diving into the trades that were made, the players that were acquired, why they were acquired and when. Yeah, well, here's the point. You know, the famous terrible trade that the Cubs made, Brock for Brolio, O'Neal, uh, Buck O'Neal, who we're still going to get to, he was livid because uh, the Cubs, you know, they, they would kind of had a quota of black players for a while. And it, it says uh, the Cubs had in 1964 – uh, a young player named Lou Brock and O'Neill heard that the general manager, John Holland was planning to trade Lou Brock. He advised him not to. He said, I don't think we'll have our best ball club on the field. He told Holland O'Neill wrote in his essay that Holland then started pulling out letters and notes from people, season ticket holders, Cubs season ticket holders saying that their grandfather had season tickets here at Wrigley field or their grandmother and their families had come here for years and years. And do you know what these letters uh, went on to say? Uh, you know, uh, obviously they were saying they don't want black people on the, the Cubs. What are you trying to make the Chicago Cubs into the Kansas City Monarchs? And, you know, so that's the history of our fandom, too. And we kind of have to own that. Like, yeah, yeah, it took till 2016. We didn't deserve a World Series because of maybe the history of it all. I don't know. I mean, it's... It, 
It's good to, to know ma- where you were coming from. Anyway. To make thing to make things worse, where does Lou Brock go? He goes to St. Louis, and St. Louis will win World Series with Lou Brock. You know, a prolific leadoff, you know, stolen bases, everything. He was really the catalyst for some of those St. Louis teams that won World Series. Don't get it twisted, though. St. Louis doesn't deserve it either. This is <laughs> one of the most segregated cities in the United States to this day is St. Louis. So don't get it twisted. They did not deserve Lou Brock. <laughs> But their baseball owners are smart enough to get <laughs> and, it. And Danny, what happened in the article? The guy they traded for had the bomb arm, right? So he. Oh like, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't last terrible. long. Yeah, yeah. No. No. Yeah. He, not, he didn't last long at all. Not not a very well selling jersey here in Chicago. <laughs> the the Brolio, uh, Ernie Brolio is his name. I'm pretty I, sure you'll see more Chicago Cubs Brock jerseys than you'll see Brolios. <laughs> so um, I, I want. But- before you move on, sorry, I just want to say you mentioned Voico in that column and it's talking about some of the work that he did um, <laughs> later in his life. There's this awesome, it is my favorite piece of baseball writing, Mike Rico piece about the day that Jackie Robinson made his debut at Wrigley Field. And one of the things that people may not realize is that the only baseball field left standing where Jackie Robinson played is Wrigley Field. It is the largest crowd in the history of the ballpark. And Mike Rico wrote about what it was like to be a little kid at that game, I highly recommend that everybody go check it out because it's one of the greatest pieces of baseball writing I've ever come across. But you really get a sense for how contentious that was on the north side of Chicago from the eyes of a kid. And it's just one of those things that everybody should read. So I was going to uh, play a video. This, hopefully this one works and we don't get some crazy <laughs> echo. That was all my fault. I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, so, and, uh, but this one, I'm playing a different way. This is about uh, Bob talking about the end of Negro Leagues um, and uh, kind of what, what effect that had. So let's just uh, give this a listen. There was an absolute overlap because Jackie braced color in 1947. And, and as Danny alludes, there were other black players who had been part of major league teams briefly. You know, um, there was a couple guys who didn't even know that they were black. People didn't know they were black that were on teams. And then guys like Moses Fleetwood Walker, who was of darker skin, uh, who played on what we would consider to be a major league team going back to the late 1800s. And and Moses Fleetwood Walker guys was a barehanded catcher. Yeah. Ouch. (laughs) And it it didn't last long. Before, believe it or not, a Chicagoan, yeah, a Chicagoan uh, who was so, well, he was such a great ball player that basically created a gentleman's agreement that banned blacks from playing on white professional teams. And there he Adrian, is. Yeah, Adrian Cap Anson. Cap Anson was an outstanding baseball player. He is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And so it was easy for him to build a coalition of followers who shared that same sentiment. And that would ultimately ban black players until Jackie breaks the color barrier in 1947. But you also have to remember that it took Major League Baseball 12 years before every Major League team had at least one black baseball player. The Boston Red Sox would be the last team to integrate in 1959 when they signed the late Elijah Pumpsy Green to break the integration cycle. Well, the Negro League would cease operations in 1960, a year later, because by then the best young black stars had moved into the major league or into their minor league system. 
So the major leagues no longer needed the Negro Leagues. Yeah, because if you were an aspiring young black ball player, you could bypass the Negro Leagues now because you could go straight into the major leagues, minor league system and work your way to the major leagues. And so ultimately it put the, the Negro Leagues out of business. But this was a very slow, meticulous process that played out over a time span of 12 years. So essentially a major league team would bring a black player up and then eventually bring another black player up so that that player wouldn't be so tremendously isolated. Now, the lone exception there would be the, the Dodgers. The Dodgers were very aggressive signing black players. And, and all these players came out of the Negro Leagues. So you can, as you can imagine, you can't siphon all that talent out of the Negro Leagues and then expect the Negro Leagues to be what they were. And, and then the fan base, the fan base left the Negro League because there was a natural curiosity to see how these great black stars were going to fare now that they had the opportunity to play in the major league. Because guys, despite what they had done in building the Negro League and the exceptional talent that was there in the Negro League, the world still said the highest level in which you could play this game was the major league. And, and so they all aspired to prove to the world that they were as good as anybody who played this game. Man, Satchel Paige took, takes a pay cut to go to the major league. Yeah, he takes pay cut because along the barnstorming service, Satchel was perhaps the highest paid player in all of baseball because the entire town, John, was shut down. When the old man was coming into town, the entire <laughs> town was shut down to watch him do his thing. And, and, and he was savvy enough to negotiate a percentage of the game. And, and so, yeah, he takes a pipe cut to go to Cleveland in 1948, and he and the great Larry Doby helped Cleveland win its last World Series. Now, my Indian fans get tired of hearing me say that. Yeah, they won the World Series in 48. They haven't won a World Series since then. <laughs> I wow. think, uh, Bob, I think they got to a World Series in 2016. I'm just trying to remember what happened. In that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell about some rain delay or something. Something, yeah, something. something happened. <laughs> well, something, I, I be something beautiful happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it just kind of reiterates what we had already just talked about. But, it, you know, it's something that I never had really thought about in terms of the you know, I always viewed as a, a white person from the suburbs of Chicago that like, oh, yeah. And then finally justice was done and Jackie Robinson came and, you know, made it safe for everybody. That's the myth. I think that I was told or, uh, you know, from where I'm from. And the, when you really delve into it, I think it's important to realize, you know, not only that it, it wasn't really integrated in as much as just rich white guys decided they can now make money off of this. And I think when you look into the reason things happen now, I don't know how much things have really changed, right. you know. And so it's just something it's something to look out for in, uh, you know, what people say and why they do the things they do. Um, I'd like to move on to something a little bit more positive, that, uh, it, and that's uh, Buck O'Neill who is probably one of the greatest ambassadors for this game uh, that and for the Cubs, the man that signed uh, Ernie or scouted Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, uh, a lot of the great black players that ended up playing in the major leagues all came from uh, Buck O'Neill. 
Uh, Bob Kendrick was amazing friends with Buck O'Neill, spent the basically the end of Buck's life with him. The Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, I think, largely exists because of the contributions of Buck O'Neill. Uh, and, um, you know, and once again, Crawley, I know we're, we're changing. We're trying to change John Baker Day to basically be Buck O'Neill Day now, you know, because to re- use our this platform – to celebrate something that really matters like Buck O'Neill, not just uh, some goofy night in 2014 <laughs> where the backup catcher got the win. It might be what brings us together right now, but, and why we're wearing these silly hats, but it's, uh, but there's really mo- more important things going on, especially in 2020. So um, if it's okay, I'm going to uh, p- put on a clip right away. It's very short. It's only two minutes long about uh, Bob Kendrick talking about uh, his relationship with Buck. And then we'll talk about that for a little bit. It was the charisma, the energy, the passion, the love that he had for human beings. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time, guys, had the players from the Negro Leagues been bitter about the things that transpired in their lives, every one of us would have said, well, you got every right to be bitter. But to a player I've ever met, none of them harbored any bitterness. And Buck was the ringleader of this. He just had this innate ability to love everybody universally. And it just exuded such joy that it just kind of spilled over on you. I recall days when he would bop in here to the museum. And here I am now, I'm 50 years younger than Buck. And I'm getting ready to get on the elevator to come up one floor. And here comes Buck running up the stairs (laughs) in his 90s. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, well, man, I can't get on the elevator. I got to go with Buck. And, and so that's the way that he was. And he was a tremendous leader of men, and which is why he was such a successful manager with the Monarchs, a great coach there with the Cubs when he got that opportunity. And George Altman, who played there in Chicago with the Cubs for many years, Buck brought him over to the Cubs. And George Altman spent time in the major leagues, played in Negro Leagues, but also spent time in the major leagues then would go on to play in Latin America and then had a great career in Japan. And he still says today that Buck O'Neill was the best manager he ever played for. So he understood men. He knew John when he needed to put his arm around you and he knew when he needed to kick you in your rump. And, and, you know, that's a special gift. But people ask me all the time, what do you remember most about Buck? What struck you most about Buck? And all the great stories that he shared with me that I get to share today. But the thing that I I think I embrace the most is this very simple notion. You always felt better leaving Buck than you did when you came to see him. Back, back, sports, back. And so is your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and there is no shortage of ways to get in on the action. You see, betonline.ag has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. So do it. Also, got to tune in. Floyd Money Mayweather joining the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. And he's going to talk about his expensive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today and check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. So go to betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. They sponsor this podcast and we thank them. Betonline.ag. 
Hey guys, uh, you ever shave your balls? I mean, you know, sure you have. I mean, why not? Make them nice and smooth. Well, let me tell you how. You gotta join Manscaped. They got the lawnmower, the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. It's a premium electric trimmer. It's designed to give you a confidence boost through your body image. So they got the ceramic blade and skin safe technology, and it's designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below, below. So, you got the Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, comes with an LED light. You can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or even in a dark shower. Whatever you want to do. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. See, the Shears is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. See, the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. Now, on their website, you also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. And you know you need it because you got that summer swamp ass going on. Uh, You got that, uh, you know, the uh, natural hydrators and antioxidants in the Crop Preserver. So you want to use that. You'll also find the Crop Reviver. A testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. Now, we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing your own balls, but I will be impressed by your flexibility. Now, go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. What you got to do to get 20% off right now, plus free shipping, is use the promo code armchair at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use promo code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns and shave that front trunk and we thank you manscape for sponsoring the sun ranto show yeah I, I i mean i there's a man i wish i would have met at some point obviously but you know what a, a great influence to you know i i don't think cub fans know necessarily that he is responsible for mr cub like Right. You know, that's it, the first black double play combination was on the Cubs. Uh, you know, people don't know this stuff and they, they should, which is why we're here talking about it. Um, so uh, I don't know. I have one more video to play about Buck O'Neill. It's a, this one's even shorter. And um, this is a story about Billy Williams and Buck O'Neill. Billy didn't play in the Negro Leagues. It was Buck O'Neill who kept Billy in the game. And, and Billy, Billy had left the Cubs, and I think Billy had gotten a little homesick, and maybe missed his girlfriend. And I think was dealing with obviously some of the racial stuff that was, you know, so prevalent at that time. And so Billy left and went back to Whistler, Alabama, and the Cubs sent Buck to go get him. And Buck <laughs> says he goes there, he goes there, and he would pick Billy up every day and take him around to the ballparks and. And, of course, all the kids there were just, you know, so proud that one of their own was a major leaguer. But Buck says he never said a word to Billy about going back. And after a few days of doing that, Billy looked at Buck and says, okay, Buck, I'm ready to go back. And and the Cubs wanted Buck to put him on the bus and send him back. I think at that time they were spring training uh, in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. And, And so Buck says, nope. Buck had an old Plymouth Fury, and, and Buck <laughs> said, I'm going to put him in my car, and Buck O'Neill drove Billy Williams from Whistler, Alabama to San Antonio, Texas. Billy Williams, of course, becomes sweet-swinging Billy Williams, Hall of Famer, 
And he tell you today, he owes his baseball career to the legendary Buck O'Neill. So how are we going to go about uh, changing uh, the Cubs' mind in not honoring Buck O'Neill? I mean, it's just insane. Like, this man is responsible for the two statues, two of the three statues that are outside of Wrigley Field. Buck O'Neill is responsible for uh, scouting and ma- making sure those players are on the Cubs. Like, so not only that, they, talk, um, you know, uh, Bob also talked about, you know, you, you know whether he signed or didn't sign, or he was instrumental in making sure that he scouted again Lou Brock, Hall of Famer, he, instrumental in getting Ernie and Billy and keeping them on the Cubs Hall of Famers, Joe Carter who may one day be in the Hall of Fame, some people argue Hall of Famer, and the other Cubs Hall of Famer, Lee Smith, all scouted by Buck O'Neill, or O'Neill influenced them to join the Cubs. So at this point, you know, it's like, what, what is, why, how is this, how has it taken this long? Levante, I know you're uh, more of a Sox fan, but do, do, do uh, the White Sox kind of honor Buck in any way like that, or, or any of these old... Like Minnie Minoso, obviously, was from Buck O'Neill as well, I believe. Yeah, of course, Minnie. And they'll bring out things, and they will they do. They honor uh, players from the Negro League. They talk about uh, they talk about Buck, Buck O'Neill. Um, I know they've got a couple of youth programs as well, like the Cubs. But, um, yeah, I mean, nobody's talking about – I think you guys are going to actually get this conversation really rolling again, and, and John Baker and – you know, and so something again beautiful might come from this. But we I was gotta, gonna say we need to just make a day and just pick a day. Yeah. The first day that he was in the Cubs dugout as the first black coach, that needs to be Buck O'Neill Day. We need to just do it and it will catch on. I promise it will. We talk about it enough, we put it out there enough, we share his story enough and it will catch on. Well once one story about uh, Buck O'Neill that I uh, that John actually alerted me to. Uh, wait, that's not the right one. Uh, it was this this Buck O'Neill game in mm-hmm. July fifteenth in nineteen sixty two that the Cubs were playing the Colt forty fives in a in a doubleheader, and it was this was during the College of Coaches time, and oh, Buck God. O'Neill was never allowed like to be a coach. Uh, during the, the when they were shifting managers every few days, and it was Metro's turn to manage that day, one of the coaches, and he was thrown out in the first inning of the second game of a doubleheader. Uh, Tappy, the third base coach, took over as manager, and Klein moved to third. Tappy was then ejected, and Klein took over as manager. Now O'Neill should have moved to third base. But uh, pitching coach Fred Martin was called in for the bullpen to take over instead. Uh, so it, Buck O'Neill said, after 40 years in baseball and 10 as a manager, I was pretty sure I knew how to wave somebody home and when to make him put on the brakes, O'Neill wrote in his book. So, well, like, And before that, too, the paragraph or two before that, he talks about he was told that he would be given an opportunity because he was one of the most talented coaches on the staff. I mean, keep in mind, he had won two titles with the Monarch before being recruited as a coach for the Chicago Cubs. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous how he was treated. And July 15th it is. <laughs> Here for it. Let's do it. You know, the only thing I don't like about celebrating it July 15th is that we have to wait a year. I know. Yeah. No, the other thing, you know, when you, when you go to the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame Museum, they sell bobbleheads. Like, everyone that knows me knows, like, I'm a bobblehead geek. But uh, Buck O'Neill, 
his bobblehead is not as a player, but as a manager. Yeah. I think, I think he's the only one that's as a, as a manager and not as a player. And that just kind of goes and speak to what people say about that. I wanted to point out something um, that I found Bob mentions quite frequently, and it was in the video previous to the one. And then you continue to find this in, in, in Buck O'Neill's character, um, not just at Bob's own words and stories and the stories, uh, you know, Buck told him directly, but, and things uh, that have already been written by other authors, but uh, something very unique, uh, really too, uh, with that generation. And then maybe a couple of generations after that of uh, African-Americans, you'll find that really humble position where people aren't bitter. Although they probably have the right to be, everything that you're showing across the screen that is Buck's words or that Bob, you know, told us that Buck said, none of it was, they were angry. They were, they were not mad. They were not bitter. They didn't, you know, that last uh, clip you just, well, not the clip, the story you just showed, you know, he says after 40 years in baseball, I mean, yeah, and 10 as a manager, I think I know how to wave somebody home, you know. He could have went a whole different direction with that, oh, yeah. right? So uh, I think that's a really uh, unique characteristic of, about those ball players for that era. Um, and then you kind of juxtapose that against what's happening now with ball players like Tim Anderson and bat flips and showboating. And, you know, so it, it's kind of um, it's an interesting dynamic that I wanted to kind of point out. If And I'm sure you all probably caught on to it oh yeah i mean absolutely and and also the idea of the showboating being a negro leagues baseball sort of kind of uh, i mean that's what they were known for that's why I, i think that you did have an integrated audience at a negro league baseball game because White baseball, maybe I never saw it before 1950, but it seems like, and it still has elements of this kind of stodgy gentleman's game. You don't throw your bat. You don't, uh, you know, you don't stare at the guy. You don't, you don't show, you're not flashy in any way, shape or form. Otherwise you're going to take one in the ear the next time you get up to bat. And uh, I, and I think you're right, Levante, is that I think, Maybe Ernie Banks wasn't that guy naturally, and I'm sure that every Negro League player was not some flashy dude who, you know, was flipping it behind his back and stuff. But that was definitely a celebrated aspect of that game, uh, of the games in the Negro League. And to have the guys that were picked, like a Jackie Robinson, I think it's well known the reasons that Jackie was picked was because he was not going to come out of his face at people. Or start a fight with somebody in the stands that's yelling racial slurs at him. Uh, Ernie Banks probably picked for the similar reason that they're picking these dudes. So they've got to sit there and take it, which is like, and Buck O'Neill's got to take those injustices, you know. And that's the only objection I have to having a day being July 15th, because I I don't necessarily want to celebrate a day that there was an injustice played upon Buck O'Neill. Like, I would rather celebrate his birthday, you know, and the day he came into this world than a day that he got screwed over by a bunch of jerk-offs. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and, and I'm pulling a punch with the word jerk-off, let me tell you. But <laughs> but you guys have been on the show with me long enough to know that I don't, normally don't say jerk-off there. Yeah, um, and, that so- was no- <laughs> and that was November 13th, Danny. 
by the way, is, is Buck O'Neill's birthday. So. There we go. Can I just say, team bat flips for days. I will follow oh, yeah. every bat flip. I don't care the circumstances. I like players out there <laughs> being themselves, having a moment. Wilson Contreras bat flip a walk yesterday, and I tweeted about it. I was that happy about Wilson Contreras bat flipping a walk. Um, but beyond that, I just think that baseball should be fun. Like, that is what we're yes. doing here. We should be watching this game and celebrating players, and players should feel like their celebrations have a place in the game. And if Joey Votto doesn't want to like that flip or whatever, that's fine. I still like Joey Votto. He's great. He hardly ever strikes out, and he's a great first baseman, and I'll celebrate Joey Votto. But if Javi Baez or Tim Anderson wants to flip their bat to the moon, I want to see that. I want to see them be themselves. You know, at the risk of, again, outing myself as the stats geek, there's a really great piece in Baseball Prospectus from the last month that talks about how um, non-white players are systemically undervalued by scouts, and their war is actually way higher when they come up than what it's projected to be. And so if you look at non-white players, and particularly black players' war based on what they expected it to be and what it actually is, you're almost always getting a one win above replacement boost just because scouts are not giving them the credit <laughs> that they deserve. And you should definitely check this out. It's from, um, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head right now. His Twitter handle is No Little Plans. But you should totally check out this piece because it is mind-blowing that the systemic racism that keeps players of color from being recognized as great early still persists to this day, and we shouldn't let that happen. I love it. Bob talked about this in one of the clips, and I don't know if you're going to share it or not, but he talked about how the mindset in Negro Leagues for the um, showboating was, you don't want me to showboat, then you better get me out. Like, that yeah. is such an easy concept. I don't understand why people get so upset about it. You don't want to see somebody bat flip, then get them out. Get them out. That, well, easy. that is not only, not absolutely that, the next clip. That in, is the next clip. When you talk about that, Andy... What I brought up to Bob is is that you know people are wondering why people don't want to tune into games, right? And, and and the reason is is that you know sometimes it is boring, you know. And and but when you see Javi Baez doing what he does, you don't ever want to go to the bathroom or concessions when Javi Baez <laughs> is up to bat or even on the field. And so, you know, you keep you know we we have Rob Manfred who who's got his head up. Who knows where? I, like I said, I'll be nice today too. <laughs> But, you know, who's coming up with every stupid idea to try to make games, you know, people interested in games. And they're just not letting players be themselves and having fun, which would, you know, Bob, you know, Bob Kendrick talked about guys starting double plays by flipping it behind their back, mm -hmm. yeah, which would it. never be acceptable. You can do I'm it, a, do it. I'm about to play the clip. So, like, <laughs> you guys are just giving away. It's spoiler Sorry. alert central over here. So what, One second. Before you play the clip, uh, No Little Plans is Rob Arthur. I want to give credit to the work that he has done, which is awesome. And you should follow it and also give Wilson Contreras his Venezuelan arms lead back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a, here's a clip of uh, Bob talking about showboating. Showboating. Yeah, that's that's accused, the word I was looking for. The Negro leaguers of showboating. You know, a guy would dive in the hole, flip it behind his back and start the double play. <laughs> and and, and Buck O'Neill would oftentimes say, say, number one, if you got something to show, show it. <laughs> but the other reason is that it, called, it says only showboating when you can't do it. 
Bob, speaking of that, I got a question for you. I can't think of the name of the movie right now. It's like for the love of the game or something like that. And it was, you know, a movie in the 90s and it just kind of captured all of this. Soul of the game. Yeah, Soul of the game. Let me ask you about a scene. Is it wasn't realistic? I think it was a scene that went in Kansas City. Satchmo was on the bump. And I think it was young Jackie coming up to the plate. Uh, was it? If no, it was Josh Gibson. I think one of the players, and he cleared. Yeah, he cleared the infield. He told Jackie to get off. Jackie wanted to stay back on the infield, and he's like, "What are you doing, that like, boy? Get off the field, boy!" I, you know, he had control of the whole show, and everybody in the stadium was going crazy. You know, the fans knew what it was. This is Satchmo time. Was that a real story? That that now they they fictionalized that particular storyline, but yes, that was real. And, and so there were times where Sato, he's never it never really happened in league games, but in the barnstorming world, where he would call the outfield in and sit the infield down as he would proceed to strike out in the matter of a game. Now I can tell you this guy, <laughs> in Satchel Page's ability more than Satchel Page. And and he wasn't bashful about telling you about it. And so they were playing in the Denver Post tournament. And so Satchel has his Satchel Page All-Stars. They're playing an all-white semi-pro team from the Coors Brewing Company. And so Buck is playing first base for Satchel and his All-Stars. And Buck says the first kid from the Coors team gets into the batter's box. He digs in, says Satchel throws him a fastball. John, the kid, swung as hard as he could, topped it, dribbled it down the third base line. It stays fair. He beats it out. He gets an infield hit. Well, Buck says about that time, one of the kids from the Coors dugout steps out on top of the dugout steps, and he yells out, let's beat him. He ain't nothing but an overrated darky. Well, Satchel's nickname famously for Buck was Nancy. That's a whole other story. We ain't got time to tell you that story. <laughs> that story actually happened in Chicago at the Evans Hotel on the south side of Chicago. Anyway, Buck says Satchel looks over at first base. He says, Nancy, did you hear that? Buck said, yes, Satchel, I heard him. He said, Nancy, bring him in. And so Buck says he's at first base, John. He turns he motions for the outfield to take a couple <laughs> steps in. Satchel looks over at first base. He says, Nancy, bring them all the way in. <laughs> there were seven guys kneeling around the mound. Satchel Page and the catcher. And Satchel strikes out the side on nine straight pitches. <laughs> he looks into the coolest dugout and says, overrated darky, hey. And of course, I had a kid that said this was embarrassed. They all came out to apologize to Satchel and his teammates. But Buck O'Neill for to the day he died that if he had one game to win and any choice of any pitcher from any era, it'd be the legendary Leroy Satchel Page. He said you might beat him when he was out there messing around. But man, when he was locked and loaded, forget about it. <laughs> 
I mean, that's the kind of, I think that's entertainment. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I kind of want to see. You know, and Levante, I know you talked about it, you know, with the kids that you work with that, you know, I know you're trying to treat the, teach them the history and the respect for the game and all that stuff, respect for each other. But I know you, you let them also be themselves. Uh, you, you talked on that uh, the last time when we talked with the kids. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, like, how the kids use baseball to express themselves that you work with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you may have kids that are introverts. Uh, you may have kids who just don't talk a lot. Like I said, it may be something associated with some kind of trauma, something, right? And so giving them that outlet, that platform, and encouraging them and cheering them on. And so one of the things I do, especially with my younger teams, I, I personally coach the 13- and 14-year-old boys, and I coach the T-ballers, so the babies, the four- to seven-year-olds. And I'm also a high school fast pitch uh, varsity coach for Prospective Leadership Academy. So I kind of touch a few aspects of the game. But at all of the levels, I encourage them. Now, the IHSA games, of course, I don't. I tell the girls, you know, keep it a certain way. But in the little league stuff, have fun. You know, make up a dance when you hit the ball. <laughs> and, and you're proud of hitting that ball. Once you make it to first base, you can have a victory dance. You know, when they're younger, have fun, <laughs> learn to enjoy the game. It gets parents yelling, screaming, laughing, and it, it's just kind of fun. It, it shouldn't always be so serious, right? A lot of youth baseball, man, especially the travel circuit, you come in there and it's like 10-year-olds jack like Mike Trout, and, you know, they're it's like, <laughs> it's just baseball, dude. You know, and it's like, it's baseball, and dad has got a stat book this big on his kid and he's yelling <laughs> like a maniac from the sideline and so it's just like you know it just good old strikeout remember the strikeout boxes behind the grocery store and everybody played boys girls everybody in the neighborhood baseball sure. was fun you, you you talk smack to each other there was a limit of the smack you talked because you know who could beat you up and who couldn't <laughs> beat you up so you talk more smack to the ones that you knew couldn't beat you up or you talk more smack to the players that you knew you were really better than and you were kind of <laughs> humble with the guys or the gals who were better than you. So, yeah, I mean, just let the kids be themselves. They, we, we teach them to, to respect the game when we're in a league game and we're playing opponents. You know, we, we always teach our children, be mindful of what offends others, right? So that's how we go into the games. If talking smack, if, if you know, celebrating too much is going to anger this team, they're going to take it offensively, then – We'll dial it down against that team. If we're playing a team we know doesn't matter and they're going to talk some smack and they're going to flip their bats too, then let's get it on. Let's play some baseball. <laughs> and so, yeah, we try to, you know, just have fun with it. Quick word to you all. I really appreciate you downloading uh, the Sun Ranto show in all its many forms. But you are obviously listening to an ad-ridden version of the audio version of our live tape podcast. Now, uh, what you should do, if you'd like to listen to it in this form, is just subscribe for a dollar a month at patreon.com slash sunranto. You get your own RSS feed. You just copy and paste that into any podcatcher, and it will download automatically, just like you're doing right now. Uh, the only difference is you don't have to listen to ads, which would be great for you and for me, who, if I get enough people to join patreon.com slash sunranto, then I can quit doing ads because it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of everybody's time. So do it. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. It's a dollar a month. 
At $5 a month, you get all my music. At $10 a month, you get other stuff. I mean, just just take a look. Patreon.com slash Sunrando. Poke around. Join up today. It's a dollar. Come on now. It's a dollar. It's a dollar. If you would buy one of the three hosts of this podcast a beer every year, well, that's that's a dollar. (laughs) Regularly, anyway. Please subscribe. $3, $5, $10, whatever you got. Would really be appreciated. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. Quit listening to useless ads. Damn it. Back to the show. It's it's weird that people take it so seriously. Like, I don't understand. Like I I love the ideas. If if you don't want me to throw my bat, we'll get me out. Because I'm not gonna yeah. bat flip a strikeout. You know what I mean? Right. It, I mean you, fun. You we can, got we do that but with all the other players team, against man. coaches. Sorry, Mike. I- I was going to say, I think I bat flipped a strikeout plenty of times in my college days. <laughs> no, that's throwing your bat into the stands being I, pissed is not. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Again? <laughs> so I, I did want to share another story that John Baker told about it, it, his experience playing down in the Dominican Republic, which, by the way, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba—you know—they've got everything to owe to owe, to owe to the Negro Leagues for having their players go down there and barnstorm and basically bring the Negro League style of play down to these islands, and uh, that's how you get Javier Baez eventually. Like there is there is a direct line to all that. So uh, John Baker went down there. And he played with uh, your favorite first baseman on the Chicago Cubs for a team called Los Toros del Este in La Romana, which is, uh, I believe, on the northwest area of that country. It's a beautiful place, and they've got great statues, actually, in the middle, really weird artistic statues <laughs> in the middle of that town. I went one time. But uh, John Baker played, and he tells this great story about Anthony Rizzo uh, playing down in the Dominican Republic. So check this out. So I get down there, and we have this big, overgrown first baseman uh, in the Padres organization, American player, who's just kind of oafish and ridiculous. And he's talking to me about how fantastic it is to play in the Dominican. And I'm like, "What's so exciting?" He's like, "Man, every like you get someone strikes you out, like there's their fist pumping, like everybody's having fun. There's a band playing in the out, or there's a band playing behind the behind the dugout. Um, you go and play in the capital, and they got dancers on the top of either dugout. The music never stops. Like it's just the energy is so high. You could do whatever you want here." You can do whatever you want. You get a hit, you can throw your bat. And so he's like, so we're driving to uh, San Francisco, um, which is like a, a three-hour drive from where we are on the bus. And so we stop at like a, in the kind of the middle of the country there um, at, at a gas station. And he goes and buys a huge like multicolored rosary that hangs down to about his belly button. And he's like, I'm going to hit a home run in this game today. I'm going to hit it about 450 feet. I'm going to pop that rosary out and I'm going to swing it around my neck on the way to first base. And sure enough, in his first at bat of that game, Anthony Rizzo comes up and hits a home run to right field and fires the rosary all the way around his neck. And coming from the United States, were something like that to happen in a professional game here, people would have, man, lots of feelings would have been hurt by, by that, right? They would have been so sad that you showed me up. Not, not so much concerned about the fact that they threw a meatball that got hit 450 feet, but more about what, more about what the guy did after he did something amazing. Well, when I looked into the other team's dugout, what I saw was they're all laughing and pointing at him, like all of them. They're laughing and pointing at him. Then they're laughing and pointing at the pitcher. The pitcher's got a smile on his face. Like he's just shaking his head. And I thought, man, this is really different, right? So I asked one of the players from in, in La Romana, 
when they announce the guys that come up to hit, if they're from the the backyard, as they call it, they say Del Patio, Del Patio, Del Patio as the guy's coming up to bat because that means he's from La Romana. La Romana, the area um, is you have Casa de Campo, which is this like huge resort, really nice resort in the Dominican. But then the surrounding area is made up by people that have generally come up uh, cutting sugarcane. That's what they do down there. You either you cut sugarcane or you, you get a job at the hotel or you work at the jumbo. Education usually stops uh, around third grade. And so I asked one of the players, one of the Del Patio players, I'm like, man, Victor Mercedes was his name. I'm like, tell me, like, you know, Dime, tell me, tell me about what's going on with all of this. The, the, the stuff gets thrown. Like, what, is, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you? And he goes, Americans think that we do that to show other people up. He goes, but I do that because I'm celebrating my opportunity to play baseball. Every time I get on this field, it's, it's, I'm not cutting sugar cane. I'm not folding towels at a hotel. This is my opportunity to do something better. And, and having that personal experience and actually being willing to ask the question, that took uh, what, I, what I had learned, what I had been kind of socialized to learn as a, as a kid growing up playing baseball in the U.S., which was my way of baseball. The, they say play baseball uh, the right way, right? They say that all the time. What that generally means is play baseball my way, the way that I learned it. Not the way that you learned it, the way that I learned it. Um, and so it just gave me a new perspective. And I realized that, that those things were not my way that I was taught. And I was, I still played the same way. You know, I, if I ever hit a home run, I put my head down, I ran around the bases. And if I got a base hit or if I hit a ground ball, I, I ran hard every single time. I just wasn't, I just wasn't taught to, uh, to be flashy. So if I were to try to do it, it would look ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like you just said, Bob, like, I didn't showboat because I couldn't. Man, and now I watch these guys play. Um, yeah. I watch these guys play today, and, like, the, the, the most exciting players in the game um, are guys like Javi Baez, and if, if we're going to just stick with in Chicago, Javi Baez and Tim Anderson, the shortstops that we have in Chicago. Like, they play with this, like, passion. They play with this love, and they play with this, they play with this flair that, man – they ran that, they tried to run that out there. If you tried to run that out there, even 15, 20 years ago, man, the, these stupid, uh, BS unwritten rules that exist. <laughs> yeah. My kids call them. My kids call those rules. My daughters call those rules brules with a B because the B at the front of brule stands for, stands for, stands for BS. <laughs> and, and I can tell you now, there were no unwritten rules in the Negro leagues. <laughs> if, you if you don't want me to throw my bat, you better get me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, oh man. I, why can't I be Bob Kendrick? <laughs> He's like the greatest person know, in the man. world. Like, I could listen to him speak all day. My sister actually just texted me during this. Uh, she said, um, I want Bob Kendrick to tell stories to me all day long. And I think Seriously. I don't think that there's a single person here that feels differently than that. Um, who is saying, Sarah, were you saying, or Andy, that you were saying that there's a podcast coming out from the Negro League Baseball Museum? Yes. And actually, I meant to look that up while we're in between here. So I apologize. But I retweeted it. Um, it is a series coming up. The first one comes out on Tuesday. It is out by Just Gloves um, tweeted it. And the, the handle is at Just Ball Gloves. And um, it's called Storied. So if you Google that, that will come up. But it is 22 stories in 22 weeks, all told by Bob. So 
I mean, this is so, phenomenal. I your, can't wait to. Your your to wish play. has been granted, right, basically. Right. Is yes. what you're saying. Yes, it's on Spotify. So if you have to look for it there too, and there is a way to get alerted when a new episode is out. So just a heads up. Cool. So uh, I think that is pretty much going to do it for our our show here. I, I want to mention a, a few things before we take off. Uh, first of all, the reason we're doing this at all right now is because uh, when I asked John Baker what he wanted to do this year to celebrate John Baker Day, he wasn't interested in a party. He was interested in having conversations that can move our society forward right now and make sure that we elevate the voices that need to be elevated right now. And the main voice that we want to elevate is Levante's. And luckily, and thank you, Levante, for being here for all these interviews, because you've come on everything since then, (laughs) you know, since then, like, you know, and I really appreciate your knowledge and what you're doing with the kids that you work with. And, you know, this is, I know that I want to be this is just the beginning of something that we're going to continue to do hopefully for, you know, till the day I die. So um, we're, we're doing a couple of things to try to uh, raise some money for lost boys. The first thing we're doing is uh, asking you just to give them money yourself. And here's what you do. You go, it's scrolling across your street stream uh, screen right now. Uh, donate now at lostboysinc.org. And uh, there's a donate button there. We're also, we partnered with Obvious Shirts. Uh, Joe at Obvious was on the show the other night, the John Baker Day launch show. And we've made uh, face masks. You can see it a little bit better there. John Baker Day, the original design from Kurt from Ivy Envy, uh, which is amazing design. Uh, you, you can uh, protect yourself from COVID-19 with uh, your John Baker Day face mask sold by Obvious Shirts. It's only 15 bucks. And there's uh, both men and women's, uh, style obvious shirts, <laughs> anti-racist. It says, and there's also a little John Baker Day logo arm patch on the screen, which is really, really cool. And uh, I, thanks, Joe, for making that. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that we are ending John Baker Day. It's now called Buck O'Neill Day until further notice. Until we can get until Buck O'Neill Day becomes an official thing, then we'll go back to throwing John Baker Day until we figure out another voice that needs amplification. Um, but in the meantime, I hope everybody reads a little bit more and we've inspired people to maybe learn a little bit more about Buck O'Neill and why he should have his own day. And here's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, first of all, he wrote a book. <laughs> so like you can read what he says about himself and what his experiences were. I was right on time by Buck O'Neill. If you're a Cubs fan and haven't read this book, well, I don't know how you can call yourself a Cubs fan because it's an amazing (laughs) book and uh, it's by one of the most uh, famous uh, Cubs fan. And the reason we have Mr. Cub, so read this one. I was right on time. Uh, Don't buy from Amazon because that man's evil. Uh, Buy it somewhere (laughs) else, uh, you know. Buy it from a local bookstore. Local bookstore. That book's been around some for a while. You'll find it at your local place. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's the other one you can buy. And I and this one's great. Joe Poznanski goes around with Buck O'Neill and our good friend Bob Kendrick is makes he's all over this book. You know, I read this over the last winter. So did I. Yeah. And so this is an amazing book. Check that out. I've posted a few links to some of the articles we've referenced about Cap Anson, about some of the injustices done to Buck O'Neill in the past, and also 
his great accomplishments because let's face it, being the first black coach in the major leagues is pretty amazing, but winning all those uh, championships with the Kansas city Monarchs is amazing too. and should be celebrated. Uh, the Negro leagues baseball museum is, uh, is definitely uh, worthy of your interest and your money. So they've got an amazing gift shop. Go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which I just believe is nlbm.org or com. One of those. You'll find it. Google it. And uh, look in their gift, sh- it's in their dot gift com, shop. It's Danny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the other know. one is a I don't know what the kids church. are doing as a church. Yeah. Um, so, well, so, so should the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum be a church as well. So uh, go check out everything they've got there to to offer um uh, because they've got some amazing especially for their hundredth year anniversary they've got some killer gear in there they got some chicago american giants gear that uh is really cool uh, some flat brim hats that look awesome um uh, and uh you and hey i could talk about this all day but we shouldn't because we're already at an hour and a half and uh everybody's got dinner to eat and um so i do want to play uh one more uh thing uh about the, this being the final John Baker Day, and then I will play uh, a song to play us out. And um, one second, let me just play this real quick. Here we go. And I guess John Baker Day is now Buck O'Neill Day yeah, starting tomorrow. <laughs> so enjoy the final John Baker Day. This will be the. No, no, no. We got to keep this. I'm just, I'm just getting here, guys. We got to keep John Baker Day. <laughs> well, we can, we got to make both work. Don't worry, Levante. We can treat it like Prince. We can call it Buck O'Neill, formerly known as John Baker Day. Okay? We have, we'll, have, we'll, we'll have some, we'll have some little, we'll have some little script, but it'll be a nice. Uh, I will really appreciate. I really appreciate. I couldn't be honored more too to pass off whatever whatever platform we've built to the people that I feel like actually actually deserve it you know this is Danny and I talked about this concept a lot for for people that come from my situation you know I was a backup catcher in the major leagues at the end of my career but it's time for people like me to become the backup to everybody else and so that's 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 where I want to move forward and I don't know Danny if I don't know what we decided on with obvious shirts um but do we have it do we have a picture of that I I, th- I think I do have it in here let me uh um wait where is it oh yeah there it is yeah that's what that's what we're coming out with here um today yeah today that is is coming out and that's that's in that's in the vein of raising money for uh for lost boys incorporated and for for people like me more of these more of these conversations um so that we can get some history so that we can have some so that we can have some feel and we can really figure out we can have a game plan for how we can become the backup to promote these voices uh to talk about this history um, and, and to, to when we leave this world uh, be a part of activism and positive change. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm hearing right now for us Chicagoans, hopefully we can walk away with this and come back together, Danny, John, Crawley, and let's try to inspire this city, man. Let, let's get buck on that. You know, yeah, the hall of fame is important. We, maybe we push that that's national conversation, but just in Chicago, a statue, you know, we're taking statues down. We need to put, put something on those put empty pedestals. Let's put something up. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for replacing. Uh, yeah, Columbus you said that, with, Danny. I've been pushing. Yeah, let's, it. Like, let's go. Forget Columbus. Let's do Buck O'Neill and Roof Foster. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah, I'm I'm with it. Let's do it. So uh, yeah, so here's to building some new statues, and I want to thank uh, Crawley 
Michael, Sarah, Andy from the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast, and especially Levante from Lost Boys Inc. I really appreciate having this conversation with us. Uh, it's it, it's a deep and rich history. Uh, the next time we come, we're, we're going to have a, an interview talking about the present kind of state of black baseball. Uh in Chicago and uh, I guess probably all around the world uh, with our good friend, Doug Glanville, who I had the pleasure of working with last, uh, last year, we're going to interview him this week. So it's not, it's not going to be real soon that we'll have another show like this, but we are going to have another show like this. I will definitely be uh, releasing uh, that interview in its entirety, as is the Bob Kendrick interview. It's already released in its entirety. You can watch the whole conversation between Crawley me, Levante, and John, and it's and it's going to be. You just check out my YouTube page, uh, and it's there. Uh, I'll be posting that clips from that throughout the the week. I think it's an important conversation. Please help us out. Share it. Share the anti-racist shirt. Share everything that we're trying to do. We kind of need a critical mass on this, and you know it can't be just the six of us because that's just not enough. You know we need everybody to come in and be a part of this. If you have ideas, please contact me. Please uh, help out Levante. Listen to Cup of Cubby Blue. Listen to Sun Ranto. Support your local uh, Cubs fan and your Sox fans. And we live in a great city of Chicago. We should be very proud of everything that's going on. And, uh, guys, thanks for being on the show today. This was awesome. I know it happened later than we had expected with the Cubs playing clown ball. With their runner on second garbage, which I don't know when you're watching this, but uh, we watched a little cloud ball today. We got the W. We got the W. There's a rainbow on the scoreboard, so that means the Cubs are going to win the World Series. It's just scientific fact. (laughs) So thanks again. <laughs> I'm hoping for a crosstown classic. I mean, if any year it oh. can happen, let's go 2020. The, the, let's bring Chicago baseball back again. The way it's going to be, it's going to be seven game intra squad series. <laughs> Cubs versus Cubs. I told God if I ever see a crosstown classic World Series, he can take me to glory after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try to take you to glory uh, with, uh, with a song that. Uh, is for the Bleacher Bum Band. By the way, if you buy it at bleacherbum.band, uh, every single dime of the sales of this album, of this song, just $5, uh, every single dime is going to go to the Lost Boys. And uh, here it is. It's uh, The reason why we're here, strangely enough, is a rock and roll song called The Ballad of John Baker and uh, my friendship with John. So we're gonna, I'm going to play us off here. All right. Thanks for being here, everybody. Peace.
tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. 
So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.